We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. mailbag time right we don't have a lot but we're going to get to some of these questions here and uh tommy guns asks speaking of special teams who would be expected to fill foskey spot on the punt block team it's an interesting question i mean i look i mean i think you have tommy uh, you i mean first and foremost isaiah foskey has not been the only player on the special teams that has blocked kicks right like i know he's blocked a couple at this point but You've had Jordan Patello block a kick. You've had Prince Kali block a kick. So I think it's more maybe just to focus on who is the pump block guy or the units just in general. But I think to answer the question directly, you have some long athletic defensive linemen that I think can give you some upside there. And you have some linebackers. And those are typically the guys that you see on pump block units. So maybe a Jordan Patello is more of a focus comparative to maybe a secondary focus on the pump block team. Maybe you bring in a Joshua Burnham or an Aiden Gobira for that opportunity. Maybe it's one of the linebackers. Maybe you think of like a Maris Loifau, who's a long athletic kid, maybe a Jalen Sneed. So I think you look to the first or second level, one of the longer defensive ends, one of the linebackers. I think those are the guys that usually make an impact in that pump block unit. Irish blooded with a question. He says, if you are coach Tommy Reese, do you really change the playbook much? The rest of the offense has played the same playbook all year. Is it is easier to adapt Tyler Buckner? Uh, is it easier to adapt Tyler Buckner or everyone else to Tyler Buckner playbook? Um, that that's a. I mean, the the premise of the question is is flawed. Notre Dame has never changed their playbook for Tyler Buckner. It's the same playbook. The emphasis is different, and yes, that needs to change. But it's not because of Tyler Buckner. The emphasis needs to change because of the personnel around Tyler Buckner. Yes, You're not a team that can just go out there and run 12 personnel all day and convince yourselves that that's your best look. You could convince yourself of that when you had Michael Mayer. You can't convince yourself of that, or you hopefully, because you know, you know, one of my, you know, what one of my, my, I mentioned my biggest fear on defense and my biggest fear on, on special teams. Mm-hmm. My biggest fear on offense is that we see them take Michael Carmody or Tosh Baker or Billy Shrouth or somebody like that and make them put a number 99 jersey on them or 89 jersey on them, and make them the second blocker in 12 personnel. That's my biggest fear. And they just try to repeat what they did during the season. That's going to piss me off to no end. I don't mind seeing it as a wrinkle, right? That's fine. Third and one, fine, whatever. But if that's what they try to do, like, more than five or six times a game in non-short yard situations, I'm going to get mad. I could see that happening. I don't think that's what we're going to see, though. I don't don't think that's what we're going to see. I'd be surprised by that, but it's an option. You need to adjust to your personnel, and it's, it is it is partly about Tyler Buckner. There are things you can do with Tyler Buckner quarterback that you could not do with, do with Drew Pine, mm-hmm. and and you need to take advantage of that. And if you don't, you're, you're, you're foolish. You should just come out and regurgitate the same offense you've had because you have a quarterback capable of doing more. Now, he's got to execute, but there's a reason he won the starting job easily in the spring and fall camp. It was never close. There's a reason for that. Now, he played bad the last time we saw him, but I don't think Notre Dame fans appreciated how well Tyler actually played in the, against Ohio State in really rough circumstances. No protection from the line, no kind of run game, receivers struggling to get separation, and yet Tyler was making some throws in that game, including a couple deep balls that should have been caught by his receivers if they would have played the ball better. So they need to play to his strengths. 
as a passer Mm -hmm. and play to the strengths of what the personnel is, which is more 21, more 20, more 11 than it is running a million plays of 12 personnel and running duo 8,000 times. Like that is just not to me playing to your strengths. It might've been in November. It might've been in October. It's not now. So I think just focusing on changing it because of Tyler Buckner is, is incorrect, but also it's not a change. There isn't like his new playbook that Tommy Reese is handing out to players because Tyler Buckner is a quarterback. It's the same playbook. Your emphasis is just going to be different. It's kind of like if you, you know, you've got the running backs you have now, if Audrick Ustame is your, your every down back, then yeah, you run a lot of duo and stuff like that. But if, if you have a, a different running back, that may not be his strength. It's still the same playbook. You're just emphasizing certain concepts better. Every every good coach that I know will have a conversation with a starting quarterback and say, hey, what do you like? What's the stuff you like this week? And then you have that conversation with your backup quarterback. What are you comfortable with? Mm-hmm. And it may not always be the same. It's the same playbook. It's just the emphasis is building around what your players do well and then what your quarterback is comfortable with. Because you may have a play, Ryan, and you, you, you'll know this. This happens in the NFL. You may have a play that works for you. It works, mm-hmm. but your quarterback's like, dude, I, I just I don't feel good about that. I just I'm not seeing it. I'm not reading it. I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't care how good the play may be. You can't run it. You can't run it if your quarterback just is flat out not comfortable with it. Or right. now that doesn't even I mean verbally not comfortable. I have seen times in games and I've done some practice where a play didn't work all week for whatever reason, but you're like, you know what? I just got a feeling about it. The kid didn't speak against it. We just didn't execute. We dropped it once. We overthrew it the other time, but it was there. And then you're running the game and bam, touchdown, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where quarterback just is like, I don't, I have, I don't feel comfortable throwing slants to my left mm-hmm. or I don't feel comfortable. Some court, I don't feel comfortable. So I, I feel so, like for me, I felt more comfortable throwing slants to my left because I felt like to scan to a slant, I could see what was coming. So like I was taking the defense to the slant. Looking to the right, I would more naturally go right to the receiver because it's just a natural thing where going left, my peripheral could see the inside defense better throwing slants to my left than I could. All the mistakes I made throwing slants in my career were to the right. I mean, just flat out. Uh, First game I ever started, I threw a pick early in the game. I hit a linebacker right in the chest on the slant to the right because I just I looked right at the slant and I threw it. And by the time it, you know, bam, guy steps in front of it. I, I just didn't see it right. I had to communicate that to my coaches. I don't see. I don't. I don't like throwing slants to my right. Then you don't throw slants to the right. I throw them to the left all day. Those are things that, and it's different for every quarterback. But the playbook doesn't change, Ryan. It's just mm-hmm. the emphasis is what changes. And you should always alter your emphasis to what your quarterback's good at and what he's most comfortable with. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I mean, and you could run the offense the same exact way that Tyler, Buck- I mean, that you did with Drew Pine, and Tyler Buckner could run that offense, but there's like a limiting feel to that, right? Because you, like you said, Tyler Buckner could just do some things physically that Drew Pine can't. I mean, that's just a point blank period to it, right? So 
the emphasis, I think, 100% does change. But I think the bigger point to Brian, and you mentioned it already, is that you can't be a tight end centric off passing offense in this game, right? Of course, that's always going to be a part of what you do because you still have a lot of talent in that room. But the fact, fact of the matter is, is that your best options might be your outside receivers now, or might just be your wide receivers in general from a pass game pr- production perspective. So the offense is just going to maneuver a little differently. The philosophy is going to be the same, but how you go about getting to the end result is going to be a little bit different and how you accomplish your goals. So structurally going to be the same. They're going to be the same plays. It's just that there's going to be some things that are in the playbook, for instance, that you're comfortable running with Tyler Buckner that you would not have been comfortable with running with Drew Pine. That's just the point blank to it. Question from Rob Thidoff. He said, is Notre Dame considered the home team? I actually asked about this today, Ryan, because when I was making the show, I wanted to put the color jersey on the show of what Notre Dame would be wearing in the game. And so I reached out to um, Katie at Notre Dame, and she said that Notre Dame will be considered the road team. So they will be – They will be. I would imagine that they would be wearing their whites. I mean, South Carolina's the home team could choose to wear their whites. I mean, you have the choice. LSU does that at home all the time. But uh, Notre Dame will be the road team. So I would assume they're going to wear – they're whites, but it. But the point is, the home team has the choice, mm-hmm. and I would imagine South Carolina is going to go with either black or maroon jerseys. How how do they decide that? By the way, I've never I'm really not sure. gotten the answer. I'm to not that. sure. It's weird. I mean, I, the most obvious to me, and I don't know if this is true, is South Carolina's ranked higher. <laughs> oh, good point. Um, good point. Uh, that could potentially be it. Uh, it could rotate every year since it's ACC versus, um, you know, SEC. But what was the, what was the what was the matchup last year, Ryan? Do you remember who was in the Gator Bowl last Not year? Not sure. Not sure. I'm trying to remember who that was. I'm going to look it up here real quick because I'm I'm curious if if that's maybe more of what it is. It was last year. It was Wake Forest against Rutgers. Mm-hmm. So you had Big Ten versus ACC, and it looks like Rutgers was the was the um, home team in that game. So yeah, I'd have, look, I'd have to look. What a terrible matchup that was. You had a ten and three. ACC team against a five and seven Big Ten team. That's terrible. Yes, yes not great. That is absolutely terrible. How the freaking heck? So that's wild. Oh, that's right. Texas a and withdrew. So the mm-hmm. SEC team from it withdrew last year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So you had uh, Rutgers. Rutgers hasn't been in a bowl game in a while, so they were chomping at the bit. Yes. Man. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Rutgers played in the Gator Bowl last year. That's so bad. I didn't even realize that. I didn't even realize that. But anyway. Rutgers was the home team last year, so I, it, it couldn't be off. It couldn't be off ranking unless because A and M wasn't ranked higher than Wake Forest was last year, were they? Don't think so. Don't think so. They had they, four they, losses. They were eight and four, right? Yeah, so, but it, it yeah. is an SEC team, so you know you never you never know. Sure, um, you know <laughs> you never know how they handle that stuff, man. You be seven and five, but they played such a tough schedule in the SEC. So let's see where were they ranked? They were ranked fifteenth uh, going into that LSU game. So uh, they would have been in the twenties. So, yeah, I'm see. I'm trying to figure out where uh, where Wake Forest was ranked going into the bowl game. So yeah, that's um that's an interesting one, Brian. Very interesting one. I'm just I'm going in this rabbit hole now. I just want to see where Wake <laughs> Forest is ranked. Wake Forest is ranked 17th going into that game. So there was no way that that it was based on who was ranked higher. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. So. Yeah, maybe but a, all I know maybe, is Notre Dame is for the road team. Maybe it's arbitrary as a coin flip. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Maybe. David Lowe says, would y'all say South Carolina is missing more than Notre Dame or Notre Dame missing more considering the quarterback position as well? Notre Dame is not missing their starting quarterback. They're getting their starting quarterback back. Yes. Uh, is the way that, that I look at it. I, no, Notre I, Dame – go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to say, I think Notre Dame is missing the two premier players of the opt-outs, but South Carolina is missing a higher volume of players. Right. I mean, they're they're missing their starting running back, potentially, I mean, both tight ends. They're missing this football game. Their best defensive lineman, their two starting corners. So, I mean, they're dealing with seven, uh, six opt-outs just off, off of the top of my head right there. Notre Dame's dealing with two. And so the two, I mean, you could say is the all-time leading sacker, I'm sorry. Yeah. The all-time leading sacker at Notre Dame and then a potential first round pick right at tight end. So you're missing definitely more premier players at Notre Dame's side, but from a volume perspective, South right. Carolina is definitely missing more. Let me ask you this, Ryan. This is, I, yeah. I, for me, Notre Dame not having Michael Mayer hurts more than them not having Marshawn Lloyd, Jaheim mm-hmm. Bell and Austin Stogner. 
sure for me. The other I side agree. of the ball, I don't know if I agree with that. That lose, not having Foskey is huge, but the fact that they're missing both of their best two corners to me mm-hmm. is what makes it every bit as impactful as Notre Dame not having Foskey. I, I agree. Opinion. I agree completely. And Pickens. And Pickens. Yes. Because because so. the only real strength in that defense was their pass defense, right? So you missed their two best cover corners, and your bad run defense also just missed their best run defender by far as well. So. I mean, those are probably your three most important players defensively by a landslide. So, yeah, I, I think I don't even think it's particularly close, to be honest. And that's no disrespect to Isaiah Foskey because yeah. he's a great football player. But, I mean, South Carolina has a bad defense, and they just lost their three, easily three right. best players, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not about Foskey at all. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's Foskey's one guy that's really good at what he does. But you've got other strengths still there. To me, South Carolina lost their only strength on defense, which was really good corners. I mean, that allowed them to be aggressive. It allowed them to do a lot of things that they do that did allow them to be – because here's the thing about South Carolina. They gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points. But they were very good at forcing turnovers. And a big part of it was their corners were really disruptive. Now, they forced a lot of fumbles too. But they forced a lot of fumbles. Why? Because they could put – they could blitz. They could stunt. They could twist. They could put a lot of numbers in the box – because they were so good at corner. Well, that may not be the case now. So it's the volume of that impact. Whereas on the other side of the ball, I don't think Marshawn, Marshawn Lone wasn't even healthy most of the year. You know, mm-hmm. Jaheim Bell was playing running back at the end of the season, right? Like he wasn't, they weren't playing to their strength. And Austin Stogner's always been just kind of an okay guy, right? Like to me, yeah. Michael Mayer brought a whole lot more of the Notre Dame offense than what those three guys brought to the South Carolina offense. And so that's where it comes from. But the three guys they lost on defense were really important guys. Mm-hmm. Where Notre Dame lost one incredibly important guy, but they still have Benjamin Morrison. They still have Howard Cross. They still have J.D. Bertrand. They still have some good players coming back. Tariq Bracey comes back. And that's the reason I look at it the way that I do. Agree. Rob did off with another question. Rob says, Brian and Ryan, what is the one thing that you want to see early from Notre Dame or not see early from Notre Dame to make you feel confident that we will have a successful day? Let's start with the offense, Ryan. What is one thing that you either want to see or not see? So from them, well, I'll tell you what, you do the one thing you want to see, I'll do the thing mm-hmm. I don't want to see. We'll go offense first. That'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, I think offensively for me, the one thing I want to see is I want them to take a shot early, right? Like I want them to open up the passing game a little bit. I I do, and and usually I'm against like – I think it's cliche to be like, oh, come out and, and, and take a shot early, right? Like right. it's a little cliche at times, but I think that it is real in this game because you want to get Tyler Buckner comfortable. You want to make the defense for South Carolina in the secondary uncomfortable with the inexperience they have now with Rush and Smith out. So I think taking a shot early and being aggressive from a passing game perspective, mixing in with your with your really potent rushing attack. Like I want to see Notre Dame come out and not be afraid to not to ease the passing game along to actually accentuate the passing game. Ryan, for me, I, I think the point that I would make to people is you're taking shots that are there. You're not forcing shots, right? Like right. I don't want to. I'm not a huge fan of like we're going to design this play. If you mm-hmm. see something in scouting that makes you think that is going to be there, then take it early. Right. But it's more about taking those shots that are there. That's what I want to see from them. Yep. Duke's about to go up 17-7 here on uh, US UCF here in the, their bowl game today. Mm-hmm. Mike Elko getting her done. Uh, Ten day ass. Oh, so then the thing that I don't want to see, I don't want to see Notre Dame try to regurgitate the offense they had in the regular season. Yes. That's what I don't want to see. If, they, if they're trying to do different things, I mean, even if they don't start fast, I think at least by the second quarter, second half, they'll get going. It may take mm-hmm. them a, a little bit to kind of get into rhythm. I hope not, but it may. As long as they're not trying to regurgitate what they did during the regular season, I do not want to see that. How about defensively? What do you want to see, Brian? I, I want to see them be aggressive up front and create pressure with movement. I do not want to see – well, I guess this kind of works both ways, but I don't want to see them – just sit there and just try to, you know, play at the line of scrimmage and two gap a ton. I want them to be aggressive with the pieces they have up front. Cause even without Isaiah Foskey, you still have guys like Jordan Batelho and Aiden Gabira and, you know, and, um, and some really talented defensive ends that I think can make a lot of pressure in this football game against a bad offensive line. So I want them to use their quickness, use their athleticism. Want them to move that line a bunch of this game and be aggressive with how they are trying to create penetration with guys like Joshua Burnham. 
Right. You get Joshua Burnham, Aiden Gobira, more, more so veterans. You have Justin Adamiola and Jordan Patojo, guys that have played all year. You know, let Riley Mills. Hey, Riley, it's time for you to step up, dude. We need you to step up and ball out. Howard Cross is healthy. I don't think people – Howard was banged up a lot of the second half of the year. He's going to be healthier now because he's had a month off. So, uh, you know, you you're, you should be able to kind of get after it a little bit today. There's no doubt. Let's get to this next one here from Five Burkhart. Burkhart boys mailbag. Who do you? Oh, um, I, the one thing I don't want to see on defense. I think I've already said it. I don't want to see a really, you know, pass happy run defense that allows South Carolina to run football. I, I don't want to see the crap we saw against South Carolina USC. I don't. I, I'll be so disgusted, like so disgusted, if we see that against South Carolina again. I, I just I don't want to see that. Five Burkhart boys mailbag. Who do you want to be the defensive MVP and offensive MVP in this game? I go. Riley Mills on defense, Deion Colsey on offense. Let's say you, Mr. Roberts. Man, it's so tough defensively. I, I think I might start with offense. Who do I want to see? I hope it's Tyler Buckner, man, because I feel like there's been a bad rap on Tyler Buckner. I mean, I, he he wouldn't necessarily be my pick. I would probably go with Deion Colsey. I think that he's my breakout guy in this game to have like a humongous day. But I, I'm going to go with Tyler Buckner in this one because that's the guy I would like to see because I think that that is – the best for the future, right? Of There's going to be a quarterback competition in the offseason here, right, with a grad transfer. And I want to see him have a legitimate shot and be playing his best ball at a confident level. So I would love Tyler Buckner to be the offensive MVP. Defensive MVP, I, I'd probably go – Riley Mills is a decent pick. I'd probably go with the Viper position in general, so make it kind of like a combination pick, you know, kind of filling in for what Isaiah Foskey leaves, maybe if – Jordan Batelho and Joshua Burnham, Aiden Gabira each combined for like as a whole, like two and a half, three sacks and a bunch of pressures. Like that would be fantastic, right? So I'll say the Viper position on defense and offensively, I hope it's Tyler Buckner. Yes, absolutely. Um, my pick offensively, I hope that it is a receiver. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care who it is. Some receiver has six catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns. I think that would give – that would – like if Tyler Buckner plays great, that's that's awesome. It'd be good for him. It'll it'll yes. make the quarterback battle in the spring very interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be one that um, where it's necessarily going to move the needle in one way or the other. Just more constant. Hey, look, this kid can be that guy. What whenever his time comes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. But to me, I want to see a receiver step up and be the dude. Whether it's Dion or Tobias or Lorenzo or Bray. That's where I'm torn. Like, I'd love to see Brayden Lindsay end his career with a six-catch, 130-yard, two-touchdown game. But I don't feel like that sends you into the offseason like with a, a dude emerged, right? Right. I'd still be okay with it. I'm going to go away from my desire to want to see Braden. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, Tobias Merriweather, Deion Colsey has like six catches for 130 yards and two touchdowns. Braden Lindsay has three touchdowns for 100 yards and a touchdown. The other guy gets the MVP. Braden does not, but Braden still ends it possibly. How about that? Yep. Uh, there we go. Love it. So well, I, I, we'll go with that one. Defensively, I hope it's a DB. Either Xavier Watts or Jaden Mickey. That's where I'm going. Ooh, Xavier gonna, Watts would be a good one. Yeah, because if a DB makes it, that means he's forced a couple turnovers. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality of it. It'll be like a Benjamin Morrison Clemson type of thing. Right. Uh, if, if that's it. Now, I think it could be because of great pressure up front to your point, Ryan, but the DB gets it because he forces a couple big mistakes, maybe an interception and then a f- forced fumble or a fumble recovery, something like that. But whenever a DB wins MVP, it means you turn the ball over. True. All right. Or you force you force them to turn the ball over. And See, that would be big. Xavier Watts would be a good one, man. I really am interested to see the maturation of Xavier Watts next year, especially like, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a Jamal Adams accoladed player, but like in that role though, you know, kind of a Swiss army knife doing a lot of different things. uh, I could see him doing for this defense. Once he gets comfortable. Yeah. I could see him doing a lot for this defense. What Alohi Gilman did for the 2018 defense. Need that guy, man. Need yeah. that guy. Yep. Because Lohi Gilman was not the guy that got a lot of the credit. Because, I mean, you had Aquara and Tillery mm-hmm. and Tranquil and Coney and Julian Love was an All-American. But the heart and soul of that defense in 2018 was, in my opinion, without question, Alohi Gilman. Yes. He wasn't their best player, but he was their he was their leader. He was hard. When there, when a, a, a message needed to be delivered at halftime or before a game, 
It wasn't mm-hmm. Aguara or Dalen or Jerry Tillery or Julian Love or Troy Pride or Drew Tranquil or Tavon Coney that delivered it. It was Alohi that delivered it. And I could see Xavier Watts being that guy. Maybe not the vocal version of Alohi. That's that I don't know if that's Xavier's character, but the right. playmaker version. Because the other thing about Alohi is that dude was clutch in mm-hmm. 2018. When you needed a play to be made, if it I don't think they beat Vanderbilt if he doesn't force that Jared Pinkney fumble to go line. I don't I don't think they do. Because they were playing so bad on offense in that game. Yep. So bad on offense in that game. So that'll be very, very interesting. We did have a super chat from Michael S. Michael, I'm not going to address this question now. Uh, I'll explain why. But uh, I'll answer it, but we're not going to get into it just yet. We're going to focus on the bowl game. But his question is, Brian, you said Hartman was more of a product of a system and dependent on a particular system and not necessarily a good fit for Notre Dame. Do you still feel that way? Happy New Year. Uh, number one, I do think his production is a product of the system. There's no question. I don't think that's always an insult, though, that some people – like people ter- have turned system quarterback into game manager. Like it's automatically a negative, and it's not always a negative. Right. Um, but, yes, he's not a 4,200-yard, 39-touchdown guy in a offense like Notre Dame's, in my opinion. I don't think he is. Uh, so the production will be there. Do I think he's a not a good fit for Notre Dame? That my opinion has changed on. I'm not going to get into it right now, Michael. We'll t- we'll have plenty to talk about if it becomes official after the bowl game. Our focus right now is on a bowl game, uh, and and I've told the rest of the team that our focus on shows moving forward is going to be on this team and the players that are currently committed to Notre Dame or on the Notre Dame team. Sam Hartman has not made an official a decision uh, official, right? So we're going to focus on this team, but. Yes, my opinion has changed. Ryan and I have talked a lot about this, dove into a lot of film. You know what it came down to for me, Ryan? And we'll move on quick. I hate the mesh. And I <laughs> di- and I and I don't see how that system translates to Notre Dame. But I, I, what I'll just quickly encourage people to do is go watch Sam Hartman play this year and focus only on third down. Because on third down, you see him dropping back in a more traditional sense, and he's really good. And they've been, what, 17th this year on third down, 7th last year on third down. They're a very good third down team. And you see him look a lot more – he actually looks more comfortable throwing the ball from a read standpoint in those situations than he did from the mesh. So that's what I had to do. Sam Hartman's probably like, thank God I don't have to run the mesh anymore. (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll we'll see, right? So, yeah. But that's yeah. all I really want to say about that because I want to focus on this team. But Michael did yes. give a super chat, and I wanted to respect that. John Banco says, tell me three things we will learn about ourselves in this game that we can carry into 2023. I'll go first, Ryan, because I've got uh-huh. a couple. Number one, offensively. I'll go. We'll both go offense and both go defense. Okay. Offensively, we're going to learn if Tommy Reese is more of the version of, of offensive coordinator we saw late in 2020 mm-hmm. and in 2021 or if he's the guy we saw this year. If he force-feeds 12 personnel down our throat with a six offensive lineman to the two tight ends they have and doesn't spread the field out and doesn't be a little bit more balanced, then it tells me this is just kind of who he is. I don't think that's who he is. I think that's who he felt he needed to be this year. I think Tommy Reese is the guy that late 2020 and then in 2021, once the offense finally, the offensive line started finally playing like they had a pulse, I think that's who he is. Balance. I, I I said this to somebody the other day, and they agreed with me. If Tommy Reese could call the perfect game for him, it would look something like two twenty five to two fifty running, two twenty five to two thirty five rushing, two seventy five to two eighty five passing, and very high yards per per attempt on both areas, where the quarterback could go like twenty two of twenty nine. 23 of 31, 285, and the running game goes for 225 to 235, averaging about six yards a carry. That's, I think, where Tommy Reese wants to be. That's where they were in late 2020 before the O-line injuries ramped up. If you go back and look from Clemson on, I mean, I think I've pointed this out before, Ryan, but here, here's what Notre Dame – that offense started to really hit a stride that year, and that's with a quarterback that I don't think overly high of, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. And with Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek, playing you know receiver so it's not like you had like good players but not like you had like a bunch of home run hitters against clemson they were 208 rushing 310 passing bc they were 274 274 rushing 283 passing 199 rushing and 279 passing against north carolina 
283 rushing, 285 passing against Syracuse. That's four straight games. And then against Georgia Tech, they were 227 and 199 because uh, Ian missed some throws in that game, and they kind of jumped on him early and just kind of ran the ball in the second half. But to me, Ryan, that's where I think Tommy Reese wants to be. And we saw it again late last year, 296 and 230 against North Carolina, uh, 249 rushing, 174 against Virginia, 212 and 302 against Georgia Tech, 169 and 341 against Stanford. That's a little closer to where I think he wants to be than 66 and three, 65 rushing and 366 against Florida State. I don't think that's where Tommy Reese wants to be. Uh, 42 rushing, 509 against Oklahoma State. I don't think that's where Tommy Reese wants to be. Just like I don't think Tommy Reese wants to be a guy uh, that we saw this year, you know, like against Clemson, where you run for 263 and throw for 85. I don't think he wants to be that guy either. But if he comes out in this game and force feeds 12 personnel down our throat, then I'm going to have some concerns about that. That's 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 one thing. So we're going to learn a lot about Tommy Reese. We're going to learn a lot about the ability of this, of this receiving core, in my opinion. Uh, and then defensively, we're going to learn if Al Golden has been able to take the le- – because what I hate is when coaches don't apply lessons they should be learning in bowl games. It makes me mm-hmm. think they didn't. You've got all this time to self-scout and do all this other kind of stuff. Well, we're on the road recruiting. What are you doing during your flights, right? Like You should be self-scouting. So you've got all this time self-scouting, and you don't apply those things. So we're going to learn if Al Golden has looked at what they did defensively and said – Here's the good things we did. Let's build on those. Here's the things we didn't do well. Let's adjust those. Those are the three things we're going to learn if he's able and willing to make those adjustments. That's one of the things that gives me encouragement heading in this game because I do think Al Golden's a smart guy. I yep. do think he's going to come out and make those adjustments. And I do think we're going to see this Notre Dame team uh, just, to me, look look a lot better. And that, that's, that's one of the reasons, Ryan, I'm, I'm a little encouraged. Um, I mean, look. They made some dumb plays against BYU, but schematically, they flat out shut BYU down in that game. They made Jaron Hall look bad because they had mm-hmm. some time to self-scout, make some adjustments. There's a couple dumb calls and a couple dumb mistakes on third downs in the run game. But overall, they were a couple big plays other than a couple big plays by BYU. They did nothing against Notre Dame that game offensively. It was a long kick return or punt return that set up a score and then two dumb plays uh, that were more about mistakes than they were bad calls but schematically when he had time after that bye week after carolina that was about as good of a of a of a a, as quick of an adjustment period as we saw from this defense in my opinion yeah what are your three so i think one thing offensively that i'm excited to see is you know i don't want to harp on the quarterback position too much but i think there's a foregone conclusion by a lot of people out there that whoever the transfer quarterback is is going to be the guy from day 1 right like there's no debates there's no there's no you know there's no battle and i think but i think that one thing we'll learn in this game and it's not the end all be all but if tyler buckner comes out and rips it up a little bit man and looks like himself and looks like he's confident then I think that the narrative is going to change a little bit about him. So I'm excited to see the maturation of the quarterback position, Tyler Buckner specifically, see what we can expect from him kind of rolling into the, to the spring and into the fall, and if it, he will indeed make it a battle for the starting spot. That's one thing I'm excited about extensively. I think another thing, Brian, is functionally one thing you'll learn is what is this passing attack going to look like next year? Because, again, tight end-wise – it's always going to be featured at Notre Dame. There's no doubt. There's going to be tight end, and it should yeah. be 100%. Because Holden Stays is a really talented football player. Mitchell Evans is a talented football player. Get Eli Raritan back. He's a talented football player. Cooper Flanagan. Like you guys, you're going to have tight ends in the room next year. But I think the blessing in disguise of Michael Mayer not coming is that now you have your wide receivers, your young guns that are going to have an opportunity to make some plays in this football game. So does I, one thing that I'm excited about is. Does Tommy Reese in this passing game open up, but open up in a different way than we, we have seen in the past, right? Is there a kind of a changing of philosophy from how we're attacking teams from a passing game perspective? Because if you get those outside receivers working, those towers, on top of what you're going to get production-wise from tight ends and you know some of the slot receivers you have, I think that's going to tell me a lot about Tommy Reese. It's going to tell me a lot about what the young pass catchers outside have been able to kind of take that next step. Mm. And then defensively, I think it's going to tell me a lot of 
what's the next wave of playmakers on this defense? Because that's what Isaiah Foskey was, right? Like he was that guy that when you needed a play, you knew you thought it was going to be Isaiah Foskey to make it. Right now, you have Benjamin Morrison, who's freshman All-American, been having a great year. I think that he's probably that guy that's going to be that big play guy down the line, right? But who's the guy on the second level that's going to make a play when I need it most? Who's the guy on the first level? Is it going to be Riley Mills? Is it going to be a Jordan Vitello? Is it going to be a Joshua Burnham? Is it going to be Prince Kali on the second level? Is it going to be Jalen Sneed? I'm excited to see who the next wave of game changers and playmakers are on this defense as a whole. Agree. That's a great, great list. Believe this is going to be the last question. We don't have any others right now that, that I see in there, but this is a question from Jason Lynch. Do you think Nana Osafa Mensa gets a good amount of snap? If do you think if Nana Osafa Mensa gets a good amount of snaps, he could be a game changer, good speed, and in a lot of plays when he and in on a lot of plays when he gets reps. Uh, I don't think Nana is a game changer. I think if Nana plays a lot, he's a really good run defender that could occasionally get after the quarterback. I don't view him as a game changer because to me for to be a game changer on the defensive line you either have to be just an insanely good run defender like Indomitian Sue or you have to be a guy that can rush the quarterback at a high level and I don't think he's that I don't think he's that kind of pass rusher I think he can be a better pass rusher than he's shown if he's a starter I think that's the one thing that I think Nana's capable of rushing the passer more effectively than he's been he just hasn't been put in those situations he's been primarily a run defender at Notre Dame, yeah. uh, but I don't think he all of a sudden turns into, uh, you know, Will Anderson. You know what I mean? <laughs> if if he if he's playing, if he's playing on the other side of the ball. So I mean, if he's playing more na- more snaps. So I, I think he's a guy that could be a, a real solid football player, real solid yeah. football player in a in a not as good but a Khalid Kareem role more so than a. Julian Aquara role. Yes. Thoughts on that? This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that Nana's a like really twitchy athlete on right. the edge, right? I think he's physical. I think he's got heavy hands. So to your point, could he be a Khalid Kareem, Dalen Hayes type of run defender that gets easy extension and you know was able to work against the run? Sure. I just don't. Like a game changer at a defensive end, I think of a guy that's going to really affect the passer a ton. And I just don't think that's ever going to be Nana, right? Like if Nana's right. one of your – if he's one of your high volume getters at defensive end, could he get like four to five sacks in a season? Maybe? Like, yeah. sure. Maybe. Like, why not? Right. Yeah, maybe. But that's not a that's not a game changer. That's right. just a good football player. That's a solid to good football player. I think the Khalid Kareem thing's a, a solid comparison. Because the one thing about Khalid Kareem was – he made money plays, right? But he wasn't a, a game changer on a right. snap to snap perspective. He was a good football right. player who made very money plays. Steady, very steady football player yep. that when the game was on the line could make a play. Now, here, here's the one difference between Nana and Khalid. Because Khalid was a very underrated player at Notre Dame, in my opinion. He had 10, he had 10 tackles for loss in 2019. He had 10 and a half in 2019. But he had four and a half and five and a half sacks in those two years. Yep. And the thing is, he didn't have a ton of pressures outside of those sacks. To Ryan's point, he made a play when he needed to make a play. And that's one of the things I loved about Khalid. But that's also one of the reasons, along with injuries, he struggled to make it in the NFL from talking to some people, is that he just doesn't have that really that pass-rushing repertoire to really be an impact player at the next level. The right. thing about, about Nana is I think Nana's first step is more explosive than Khalid's was. I think Nana has a really nice first step when he's allowed to. Now, Ryan, you may not have seen it because I, I mm-hmm. they haven't given it, but meaning not have seen it because they don't really put him in those situations at Notre Dame. I've seen sure. him in practice show that really nice boom, that vertical set. The mm-hmm. problem is he's really tight-hipped. Yes. And, and th- th- you can't just be that one-trick pony as a pass rusher at anywhere unless you're Isaiah Foskey that just has insane length and power and all that. And Nana doesn't have that. 
So he's not going to really have much of a, a array of moves. He's not going to have a spin move that's really overly effective against good guys. He's not going to have that counter move that requires some lateral quickness and some, some looseness of the hips. He's a boom. There you go, vertical. And if he can beat you off the edge, he's got the power to kind of get up underneath you and win. And I think he can be effective there. But that's a guy that's a four or five sack guy, not a 10 sack guy, in my opinion. So based on what we've seen now, I hope he proves us wrong. I always root for that. I hope he proves us wrong. Um, So, yeah, there you go. Here's a question that just kind of popped up. A couple of Milton fans says, uh, Brian, any word on Aiden Kiana? Seems like a beefcake that could be helpful in the line. He's got to get in better shape. Aiden is a big kid that's got some ability, but he's got to get in better shape. He's just kind of a plugger right now. Uh, mm-hmm. because he's a 300-pound kid that had a knee injury. And that that that's what happens to those kids is they get a lot of bad weight, just life. Uh, so he's a kid that if he can get in good shape this offseason, I think could help Notre Dame. I, I do. I, I like Aiden Kahnahan. I think he brings some beef. I think he brings some power. I think he brings – and he's a decent – he's got decent quickness for a size too. Like he's not just a stand there and eat up three blocks kind of guy. You know, he could fit into this defense, so uh, I'd love to see Aiden be that guy. Will he be that guy for this bowl game? I mean, maybe. I, I just – I think his – I think if we're going to be counting on Aiden count on, it's most likely going to be next season. And I hope that he's back next year and gets that opportunity because they they need that, that kind of beef there, right? Agree. Agree. I think that – I mean, I was excited about him when he came out of high school just because he is something that you don't have a ton of, right? You're talking about that beef and to Milton fans' question. Like, you don't have a – ton of tremendous size inside you have more gap penetrators three techniques types even at nose with like a howard cross for instance right but outside of gabriel rubio i mean you're left with jason Ogie, who has a developmental frame in kianagana hasn't been able to stay healthy but he is the most stout run def- he's the most stout defensive tackle from a body type perspective i mean what is that kid like six two six three three hundred fifteen pounds like he's a massive yeah. young man right hard yeah. kid to move but if you can't stay healthy, that's right. Not a ton of use for you, right? Yeah. So I hope he factor. I, I like Aiden. I think he. I think he's a good football player. I just you know, again, and he and he brings something that they don't have, and he brings something that they're going to be losing when Chris Smith is yes. gone after the season. And so I could see Aiden doing that. Cameron Ford asks, uh, "Why is it so hard to get a five star, amazing quarterback? Notre Dame is literally the all time best, best, most popular program. Uh, number one, there aren't many." Uh, number two, those guys usually don't come from Indiana and Ohio and Illinois and areas where they can usually get those kind of guys. Uh, number three, I don't think they need that. I, look, we pointed this out the other day. If you look at the on three consensus, they've had, what, eight national champs in, in that period of time? There's been as many, if not more, three-star guys to win championships than two-star guys. Yep. Joe Burrow did not rank as a top 300 player on the consensus Aiden or Mac Mac Austin, Mac Jones did not rank as a top 300 player on the 247 composite. Jalen Hurts was not a top 100 player. The only two guys, and there's only one team that's produced a five star national championship quarterback in the playoff era. It's Clemson. Clemson has both of them. Deshaun Watson, who was five star on the consensus, but not on the composite for 247. Uh, that's it. And they needed it. I mean, they needed that guy. Clemson was not good enough to win a title without that kind of guy at quarterback. Uh, Jacob Coker was a three-star recruit. JT Barrett was a border, borderline top 200 guy. Uh, Cardell Jones is a borderline top 200 guy. JT Barrett kind of got him there, and then Cardell, you know, capped it off the last three games. But but JT got him in position where, you know, beating Wisconsin with Cardell and then the playoff game gave him a chance to win it. Mac Jones was, very, was not a very highly ranked recruit. Joe Burrow was not a very highly ranked recruit. I mean, we could do this all day, and, and that's what I say is, like, you don't need that. You don't need that. Uh, you need a guy that can play that way in college. Stetson Bennett was not even a top 1,000 player coming out of high school. <laughs> and while I believe that last year, you know, he was he was the epitome of a, of a solid game manager, Ryan, I think this year he's been more than that at times when they've needed him to, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he's shown the ability in some of these games where he can go out there and kind of kind of rip you up a little bit, make some big-time throws. Um He's a he's to me, Notre Dame needs better than Setson Bennett, but they don't need Trevor Lawrence either. And and that's the thing is is they need that somewhere in between. And you know, my whole thing is is I said this in 2017. 
Look, here's the deal. I'll say this. Notre Dame has had multiple quarterbacks capable of winning a championship at Notre Dame if the other ingredients were correct, meaning, you know, defensive coordinator. I will say this. I'll never back down from this. If Notre Dame had had Mike Elko as their defensive coordinator in 2015, I genuinely think they win a national championship. Truly believe that with all my heart. They barely lost to Clemson on the road, and they played like crap. You know, they lost to Stanford team that their defensive coordinator had no clue what he was doing and just completely choked that game away. And they just – they were so thoroughly outcoached against Ohio State. Thing is, they that was – Ohio State, to me, was the most talented team in the country that year. Notre Dame was second. Well, Notre Dame had to go up against them in a bowl game. But give me Notre Dame with Mike Elko as a defensive coordinator against that Bama team, that Oklahoma team, that Michigan State team, who would have been the teams in the playoff against Notre Dame if Notre Dame would have beat Clemson with a real defensive coordinator – and none of them teams are beating Notre Dame that year. None of them. And that's with Notre Dame's backup quarterback. None of them. And that's just how I feel. And then, you know, there's other years. 2017, you put Everett Golson, Malik Zaire, Deshaun Kaiser on that 2017 team, and I think that team plays for a title. I, I flat out do. They almost beat Georgia, who was the runner-up that year. And that Bama team had no business even being in the play. That was not a very good band. That was the best coaching job Nick Saban ever did was that 2017 team, flat out. Um, so there have been and, – and I'll say this too. In 2018, if you trade quarterbacks for Notre Dame with any of those other four teams, they could compete for a championship. That was the one year that, that, that it was reversed where they didn't have the quarterback. It, you know, the last They didn't have the quarterback in those last two years. So my whole thing is, but if you take other quarterbacks that have been at Notre Dame and put them on those teams, then I think that team can play for a championship. I truly believe that. Now, would they win or lose? I mean, that's that's always a bit of a crapshoot. But they're teams that would have won playoff games and gone down to the wire in the championship game. I wholeheartedly believe that. So I don't think Notre Dame has had a problem recruiting talented enough quarterbacks to win championships. I think they got one on their roster now. I think the ingredients are right. You can win, compete for a championship with Tyler Buckner if he can stay healthy. That's the only concern I have about Tyler Buckner is that right there. Health. That's it. I'm fully confident the Notre Dame will have three kids on their roster next year that, that if the ingredients are right, you can win a championship with. I think they'll have three of them. And then I think they'll have at least two of them in 2024 when C.J. Carr shows up. So, I mean, there's no evidence to me that, that you can point to and say you have to have a five-star quarterback to win a championship. Matter of fact, there's more evidence that you you don't need one than what you need. You just need a guy that plays at a high level and runs your offense at a high level whether it's an elite player like a Trevor Lawrence or more of the game manager types like the Mac Joneses, right? Mm-hmm. But that's what you need. So I know we obsess on the five-star and all that stuff, Ryan, but – and look, Trevor Lawrence was a generational quarterback. He wasn't your typical number one player. He was a generational talent. You know, I mean – There's no no Quinn Ewers, though, according no. to uh, – I mean, but like my – like, I love the quarterback class this year, right? Yeah. None of those kids are in the same universe as what Trevor was coming out of high school. Mm-mm. None of them. None of the kids in last year's class. None of the kids in next year's class. I mean, Don, Dylan Rayola is considered the number one guy. He has the best talent, but mm-hmm. he's not a guy that I look at and say he's in the same universe as a player as Trevor. Because Trevor not only had great physical tools, but he had a great mind for the game as yeah. well. Sure, and he was athletic and all that. He he was just a phenomenal talent. Guys like Trevor Lawrence don't come along. I don't care what two four seven says. There's no one on the planet that actually is honest and objective that actually thought Quinn Ewers was a better prospect than Trevor Lawrence. Coming, <laughs> no one that wasn't trying to sell advertising or get clicks on a story actually believes that. And if someone does believe that, then you need to know that because that's a person whose opinion you should never listen to again when it comes to evaluating football players. You know, so um, that's going to be the key. That, that's that's where I, that's my stance on that, Ryan. I don't know if you want to add to that at all. Well, I mean, I would say that there was at least one platform that had C.J. Carr as a five-star quarterback. He's not going to be that anymore because he's committed to Notre Dame and will be for well over a year. But right. there's there's talent coming into the quarterback room, man. Right. They're going to be just fine. They're just, right. just fine. And it, the, I think the biggest thing for me, and, and we always talk about this, Brian, is Notre Dame's getting talent in the door especially with the the recruiting that Notre Dame is doing now. 
it's about development from here, man. Like you can't tell me over the next couple of years that Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr are not good enough to win a championship. You're not going to tell me that with the talent around them. Now, see, here's the thing. None of those guys are going to be able to do in a playoff game with any consistency. What Trevor did in 2019 against Ohio sure. state. Sure. Like they're, that, that, that's different, but you know who else could yeah. do that? Mac Jones, anybody, Jacob Coker, yeah. you know I mean? Like anyone other than him or Deshaun Watson. Right. Yeah. I mean, of the guys that have won, like Joe Burrow, couldn't do that, I don't think, because Joe needed to be able to, to make plays throwing the football. I don't think he could have done the running things. Maybe he could have that, that he did. Maybe, maybe Joe Burrow's the exception to that, where your receivers just are stinking, they're getting jammed, they're getting dominated, and you've got to just basically say, okay, I got this. Play here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, but the point is, those number of guys that can do that are rare. But you know who else doesn't have that kind of player in college football next year? Everyone else. All 130 whatever teams will not have a guy that like that like Trevor Lawrence next year. Nobody will. And you know, and Notre Dame still went toe to toe with them for half a game until Julian Love got hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, that's kind of that's kind of my thing. But the talents there, the talents there at receiver. Somebody was like, oh, you know, Notre Dame, they, they, those guys are throwing are great players. This is an argument I had with with a source a year or so ago. We were we were debating about the offense and how it needs to be and. And he said the same thing. Well, Joe Burrow was thrown to such and such and such and such. And I was like, well, who thought those guys were that in the year before? Right. Right? Nobody thought Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow. Now, everybody thought Jamar Chase could be that guy because he was a big-time recruit. But nobody thought Justin Jefferson was going to be what he became in 2019, in 2018. No. When their offense was barely – I mean, their offense was uh, – their offense in 2018 was worse than the Notre Dame 2020 offense. Or, or I mean, just from a whole offense perspective, Clyde Edwards-Slayer averaged less than five yards a carry the year prior. Thaddeus right. Moss was a three-star transfer tight end from NC State. Like, yeah, to your point. They averaged 32.4 points per game. They averaged 402.1 yards per game and 5.5 yards per play that year. That's what they did offensively. And Joe Burrow that season had – 2,894 passing yards and 16 touchdowns and five picks. He averaged six. He averaged 7.6 yards per attempt. So let me just point this out to you all, okay? Joe Burrow, in his first year as a starter at LSU, as a senior in college, mm-hmm. threw for fewer yards per attempt and fewer touchdowns than Drew Pine in his first season as a starter at Notre Dame. Right. So, I mean, there has to be a level of the system has to be right. Sure. The development has to be there. I now, Ryan, I believe that Joe Burrow had a lot more talent than his production dictated, which is why I'll point this out again. Why, when I heard about the the role that Joe Brady was going to have, and I didn't know Joe Brady from a hole in the wall. Right. Mm -hmm. But the point was, I knew that they were going to open up the offense. And I looked at the talent and I said, there's some talent to work with there. I think they get, I think they're going to win the SEC and be a playoff team with this new change. Now, what I didn't see was what they became, <laughs> right? But I truly, I mean, you go back and read it. I predicted them to make the playoff in 2019 and for them to win the SEC in 2019 when I knew they were going to open up because you could see the talent was there, right? But the point is, is who thought Joe Burrow was that in 2018? Nobody. I didn't even think it, and I thought they were going to be a playoff team because of Joe Burrow. But the system has to be right, and you need the pieces around them. Because as great as Joe Burrow was, if you put Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek around him, who are good football players, they don't have the offense they had. That now they still would have been a very good football team, but mm-hmm. they're prob- they're not scoring at the rate that they scored. They'd still been pretty good. They still might have been a playoff team. They still might even won a championship. They just would have done it a whole lot differently. And that goes back too to the the question earlier: is sometimes being a product of a system isn't an insult. Joe Burrow's numbers were a product of a system. Not everybody, he, you put him in another system, he's not putting up those kind of numbers. Still, team still might be just every bit as good. Mm-hmm. But the system's going to be different. Right. And going to produce different numbers. The impact can be the same, but the system is going to dinner is going to dictate certain numbers. So that's my five-star quarterback rant. And I feel like we have to do this like three, four times a year <laughs> uh, to, to get there. Um, you know, but 
Uh, but I get it. I, I get where Cameron's coming from, Ryan, because you watch this team play, and there's so many years where you're like, good Lord, if they just had a better quarterback. Like, the roster so stacks up with all these other teams except for one spot. And and then you see guys with this talent, like Everett Golson, you're like, man, if this kid can build on what he was in 2012, oh, my gosh, he could be so good. And then there was when Everett Golson was on, Ryan, it's like, oh, my goodness, this kid can throw it as well as anybody in the country. You see Deshaun Kaiser and the potential he had, and Malik Zaire. And, and then you just see him kind of just – all of them just – Right at Notre Dame, and that's the frustrating thing. And what doesn't get discussed enough is the one quarterback whose talent got maximized at Notre Dame, and the talent doesn't physical and mental talent was Ian Book. But nobody's willing to give Tommy Reese credit for that. Tommy Reese got the Ian Book to be as good as he could be in college because Ian Book didn't have the mental aptitude to be the kind of quarterback that that Brian Kelly thought he was. And we're seeing that – I mean, he was a fourth-round pick who got cut after a year at quarterback, yeah. right? He doesn't read defense as well. He doesn't process information well. He could not have been a better quarterback than he was in college in Notre Dame, in my opinion. All-time all time winning as quarterback in Notre Dame? Don't even freaking get started on that crap with me. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, is that, like, you know, how much better could Jack Cohn have been at Notre Dame? But nobody nobody talks about that with Tommy Reese. It's always well he he's he's this he's that he's this other thing. Brandon Wimbush was ruined before Tommy Reese got a hold of him. Let me assure you of that. And I don't think Tommy Reese is good with that type of quarterback. I don't. I think he needs to be smart about his recruiting. But Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr are right up the alley of what I think Tommy Reese is comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. He's got a he he can't he doesn't know how to coach Phil Dracovic. He has no clue how to coach Phil Dracovic. I think he's trying to figure out how to coach Tyler Buckner, but he knows how to coach. Drew Pine types. Drew Pine just isn't very talented. He knows how to coach Kenny Minchie types. He knows how to coach CJ Carr types, in my opinion. And now he's just got to go prove it. We'll see. We'll see. So there you go. Anyway, Ryan, that's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank everybody for being with us today. Before you leave, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Uh, there will be no. Uh, there will be no second show tonight. I believe those guys are going to be off until Friday for the for the uh, pre pregame show. Ryan will be back, and I'll be back tomorrow at one p.m. for our prediction show. We will pre- predict the Notre Dame predictions, and then we'll offer some predictions for some other of the big games coming up. Maybe talk a little bit about the playoffs, which will be a couple days later. Have some fun with that. Probably not going to be a mailbag on uh, tomorrow, Ryan. It's just going to be us kind of talking since I do got to hit the road and get to the airport afterwards, but. Uh, um, it, we're going to have some fun anyway. Sign up for the message boards, everybody, at boards.irishbreakdown.com. I'm going to put that banner up right now, right there, boards.irishbreakdown.com. Make sure you're also checking out our website at irishbreakdown.com. I've had people ask, hey, how can I help you guys? I, I you know, I, I'm not really in a position where I can afford to pay for a membership, but I really want to help you guys out. Read the articles, right? All of them are free. We get ad revenue from those articles being read. Watch our shows. Those are what, hit like. Right, comment in the sh- channel below. Like when the more comments that are there, the more engagements is there, the more the algorithm picks it up and promotes our shows. Those are ways that some of y'all who who aren't in position to be able to pay for membership, which we completely understand, uh, can really help us and help our business grow. So we would appreciate that very, very much. Sign up for the CFB Nation or subscribe to the CFB Nation channel as well on the podcast app and check out our videos at CFB Nation on YouTube. For Ryan O'Brien, have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.